step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Night. Um, still on grace, here we go. Um, okay, we have talked about grace toward us. For God so loved the world that he gave that... The act of, you know, God's love in action. And his total deliverance of humanity. Paying for the full price for our sins. God toward us. And he offered us the gift of salvation. When you receive the gift of salvation, then it's God in us. Grace of God in us working. And that's where we spent the last couple months. Just on in us. Working in us. Drawing us, wooing us, growing us up, strengthening us, educating us, changing us, gnawing at us, chewing on us to make us, to move us from place one place to the next, higher and higher, from glory to glory. And that's grace in us. But what <clears throat> the last dimension of grace is grace that flows through us to the world. And that's where we're going to spend the last part of this. It's kind of going over old ground, but new ground. Um, it was good for me to go through this again. I just needed the reminders. Um, I needed to just get it, you know, kind of out. And um, <clears throat> it, it's important that we understand that um, in John chapter 4, Jesus says to the little woman at the well, if you drink of this water, then you're going to have a, a wellspring springing up unto eternal life inside you. That living water is a continual washing water, the cleansing water of the Holy Spirit, bringing you that divine essence, that new life. But in chapter 7, he says, those who drink of my water will have rivers of living water flowing out of their bellies which is the grace of God not just in us working to bring eternal life, but flowing through us so that we're really those vessels. We're really that bushing through which God can work. And the deal, um, <clears throat> and, and it all kind of comes down to like 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and 14. And um, a little bit in Ephesians and a little bit in Romans and it all deals with the body and the way we function. Um, we, we have taken charis is the Greek word for grace. Okay. <clears throat> Definition. It is the kindness of God granted to us. Benefits and acts of loving kindness done without expectation of return. The absolute freeness of the loving kindness of God to men. Finding its only motive in the bounty and free-heartedness of the giver. That's grace at work. Then you come on the word charisma and charismata. Charis being grace. Charisma 
charismata is it is the manifested benefits as a result of that grace. So charisma, charismata, that is the manifested benefits as a result of grace in your life. The, that word we have translated gifts. Usually in the Bible it's translated gifts. Which is a very poor translation for that word. Um, the real word that is translated gift is dorie. Um, and that really is a free gift given without repentance. And in scripture when you see the word dorie, that word gift, you're talking about the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of the grace of God. And it comes in new life and salvation and it comes in the baptism of the Spirit. But it is all about the Holy Spirit as the agent of grace in our lives. Okay, That is the gift that's given to us. And that is given without repentance. That is the pouring out of grace into our lives. Now, whether or not we receive the gift... <clears throat> is another matter entirely. It is given. And it is without repentance. Charisma, the manifestations of grace, um, are not gifts in the sense that they are given to us. They are manifestations of the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And we're not, we are not the um, owners of nor the determiners of how those are used. They do not belong to us. They belong to the Holy Spirit. But when you receive the full baptism of the Holy Spirit, the charisma comes in you to the point that it flows out of you. And when it begins to flow out of you, then those benefits, those blessings of grace are manifested through you on a need basis. You know, and the Holy Spirit determines what you need and when you need it. It isn't up to us. Um, <clears throat> we kind of got stuck on this in um, in Sunday school because, um, you know, in in our church, and I'm not poo-pooing anything, but I'm just saying, be careful with it. In order to become a member of this church, you have to take a test to find out what your gifting is. Mm. And um, it, it is, um, it's just really bad theology. Do they still do that? Uh, I think. I think, but it's really bad theology. Isn't, isn't that a different type of gift? They list, a lot of times, they list all the charismata. What, they used to take an inventory <clears throat> of your skills, talents, and... Well, they take everything from... See what you right. They take, yeah. Well, they take all the list of the charismata and then anything else that's lifted where the, listed where the word should be charismata is listed gifts. And then they list them all like, oh. like a present given to you personally. I don't think I've ever and, seen uh, <clears throat> Yeah, it, they're all over the internet. You can find them too. But um, when you take those tests... 
Um, and I understand the purpose of it. It's trying to find a way to plug you into the church so you don't just join the church and then get lost. They want you to plug in. Um, I would prefer that they give you an aptitude test. Your personality, the dynamics of your personality. What, what did God make in you that makes you who you are? That, that would be more accurate than this, this um, gifting test. Uh, did Jesus ever require that you take a test of number? No, no, no. And that's the whole thing. Um, the church, in an effort to do good works, has tried to plug us in. And that's one of the reasons I went back on this. I, I um, um, you know, we just, we, we need to get it straight in our head that, um, there is a difference in the Doria, the Holy Spirit, who belongs to everybody and anybody that wants them, and in um, what the Holy Spirit has in himself that he brings to the table and will manifest through you when you are ministering the way the Lord wants you to minister. Now, you you are created with a very unique set of abilities and talents. Nobody else is like you. And the Holy Spirit intends for you to live out your life the way he wants you to live it out. But wherever you are living it out, he wants to be able to manifest himself through you. He doesn't want us all to be on the street corners with a sign preaching. He he wants everybody doing what they do. Ron was an eye doctor. The Holy Spirit was flowing in that office, buddy. I mean, neck deep. And um, businessmen and realtors and teachers and, you know, all of us, um, wherever we're supposed to be, we are nothing more than a vessel for the Holy Spirit to flow through us. We should expect a full array of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit to follow us everywhere we go. But because of this test on gifting, the church has really been um, castrated, if you want the truth. We're we don't multiply. We're stifling and limiting right. what the Holy Spirit That's do. right. Yeah. yeah, because people will say, well, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to pray for people to be healed because that's not my gifting. Healing's not my gifting. You know, we, we lose a lot because people do that and they use it as an excuse to eliminate things that they don't want to deal with. And we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit and how uncomfortable people get when you start talking about the Holy Spirit. They, you know, plug their ears and go la, 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 and and, um, they hear a little bit, but they only take away what they want because the Holy Spirit is never going to leave you comfortable. He is never going to leave you where you are. He's going to always move you out of your comfort zone somewhere else. Having been on that ride for a long time, I know. And, um... He's never going to be satisfied to leave you where you are. I don't care where it is. He's not going to be satisfied to leave you there. And he wants to be able to use you wherever you are on a dime when he needs you to be used. So we need to be wide open to that. Um, We are called into certain fields, certain areas, certain ministries based on, um, you know, our unique little personalities, who we are and all. But... um, being called into a position in the body is expected. 
You know, we are one body. There has to be a heart. There has to be a liver. There has to be kidneys. There has to be eyeballs. There have to be nerves. There has to be a backbone. There have to be hands and feet and heads. And you're called somewhere in that body because you are uniquely fitted for that place. But that doesn't mean that that's the end of it. Okay, I'm just a liver. That's my gifting or that's my ministry. It means that God has plugged you in there so that His ministry can flow out of you. His anointing, His power can flow out of you where you are. Because the body needs you in different places. Um, <clears throat> so like when I took that test, mine came back an intercessor. That's my gifting. An intercessor. If I had paid attention to that, I would never have started a Sunday school class. I would never have been able to have a Sunday night Bible study. I'd never be ministering at the jail. If I had said, no, my gifting is intercession, I would never have been able to do that because I would say, that's not my gifting. It's not my calling. Wrong. All of the, all of the offices, all of the places, all the positions belong to God because it's His body. And I've seen people move from one place to the next place to the next place. You might be a kidney and then he needs you to be the liver. So you, you know, you, he's going to move the anointing on you to put you in a place where he needs you to be. But there isn't one place in the body that's not important. You know, not one place in the body that's not important. A lot of those positions overlap <clears throat> with others. Right. Right. You don't stay in a little box. You may be a preacher that teaches. A That's exactly that right. Exhorts and preaches. You intercede for others. You pray. You're a prayer warrior. That's you right. You do a lot of different things. That's right. Wherever you are, that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to do what He wants you to do where you are. And um, <clears throat> so when you're when you're out in the field, it isn't you doing the work. It's God doing the work through you. Um. It's your hands, it's your feet, it's your mouth, but it's the Holy Spirit in you that does the supernatural work. Whatever you do in your own strength has only temporary fleshly consequences, but what you do in the power of the Holy Spirit has eternal consequences. And um, what what has bugged me all along is that we, um, as a church, want... To do what God wants us to do. But because we, we're stifled in so many ways, it, it comes out a lot in just fleshly work as opposed to what God intended. Do we, are we supposed to feed the poor? Yes. But when you do it in the natural, like through the food bank, they're not allowed to preach the gospel or lay hands on people and pray for them. They're not allowed to do those things. Um, in my class, you know, we started talking about like the gifting of hospitality. And I'm thinking, you have a personality to be the greatest caregiver. I have about four people in my class that are just born natural caregivers. They love to do it. But um, if that's what, if that's what your nature is, your personality and your aptitude, if you um, plug into the church because you're trying to do what God has given you a gift to do or a ministry to do, you're going to end up taking meals to people, which is nice. You're going to end up calling people, taking people to the doctor, doing whatever you do, which is good. 
Okay. But what if God built you that way and intended for you to become a missionary and wanted to send you somewhere where people really needed a person that could could provide not not naturally but supernaturally. You might miss the feeding of the 5,000. Taking meals around here, meals on wheels, you know. Taking meals on wheels, you might have missed where God wanted to place you. You could have missed feeding of the 5,000. You know, we when we take that so literally and so small, um, then it, it's really hard to get us out of that shell to, so that God could really use us big. And like administration, that's another gifting that was, you know, several people in my Sunday school class have administration. So we do what we think. We go out and join all the church groups and, you know, and offices in the committees and, you know, we do those things in church administration, which that's good because we need people that know what they're doing. And people who have that natural inclination, that's where we need them. Um, but what if God had designed your personality with a passion and a love for administration, but he wanted you to build churches, to take your administrative skills and go out and build churches, as opposed to organizing the church that's already here? What if he had wanted you to do that? He wanted to take your aptitudes and your strengths and put you somewhere where you'd be a church builder. You know, you miss so much and the people who God intended to bless with it would not be blessed because you'd go, oh, well, I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm an administrator, you know. But what if he wanted you to administrate in the mission field? Do you see? And when the church gets small and picky about it, the church becomes impotent in what we do because we're trying to do it in ourselves rather than just being that vessel, showing up and letting God do great things through us. You know, like Peter and, and um, John on the way up to the temple, they were going to pray. They weren't even, you know, they weren't out ministering on the street. They are just going to church to pray and ended up healing a man that had been crippled all his life. He, they just showed up and the Holy Spirit went right through them with gifts of healings. You know, manifestations of healings. I don't even like the word gifts. The manifestation of healing was there and that man rose up. But they didn't go as if that's their gifting and look for somebody that was crippled to heal. They were on their way to pray. And God says, stop that little bushing right there. We need some little power right over here. And they stopped right there and did what the Holy Spirit said. Um, that's what we need to start looking like. We need to look more like the church of the book of Acts, like like Stephen, like Philip. We're going to talk about all of them. More than we look like us now. I, this has gnawed at me for a long time. Just start with John 14. <clears throat> the things I do you will do also in greater things than these. And I'm going, Lord, I want to see that. I want to see it. Do you want to say something, Ron? It was interesting with uh, <clears throat> Walter. Yeah. That's right. Our Indian our, our came Indian. here. Uh, yeah, he from Sri Lanka. That's right. You know, and uh, he would uh, he he would leave with nothing. I mean, and everything was provided him, uh, food and 
everywhere he went. Everything. Yeah. You know, and uh, <clears throat> if you had someone in, the, you had them over at your house, and there was someone in the in the group that didn't know the Lord, they did it by the time they left because yeah. he, he was just after them. You know. That's it. But he he had started a church of over a thousand, and he had over six hundred of his second church that he was already. Uh, and that's uh, something. Yeah. And he just fly, he just traveled, and he was a vessel. And wherever he parked, yeah. God used him, and in all different ways, not just in one or two ways, but in all different ways. Yeah, and and we need to recognize that we are not uh, narrowly blessed, but we are infinitely blessed because the infinite one is in us. Um, so. When we're talking about this last phase of grace, we're talking about all of the power of God in the Holy Spirit resident in us. And it is a capability that's there for any purpose and any, um, anything that needs to come up. Anything God needs us to do. You know, we should be wide open to whatever he has. We're not. We have our hang-ups. But... Um, we should be open to it. Um, so we need to understand that the charismata is not a gift, a present to us. It's not our present. It's not our gift. The Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in the earth, starting with the grace for salvation, is our gift. And it is given without repentance. That is the Doria, the gift that is given. Um, in Zechariah, let's go to Zechariah, it's just one verse, but if you can find Zechariah, good luck, I'm having a hard time here. Come on, Zechariah. Zechariah <coughs> chapter 12. And he's talking about these end times, actually. He's talking about what's going to come in the end. But the truth is, it's coming now. And I, I, um, I'm not so much concerned about when this is supposed to happen, but, but what he calls it. Give me the verse. Chapter. Uh, chapter 12, verse 10. Okay, <clears throat> just one little verse here. I don't usually like to do this, but I just want you to see one phrase here. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. God is pouring out the spirit of grace. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the agent of grace in us to the world. He says, I am pouring out the spirit of grace and a supplication and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. That spirit of grace is what is poured out on us. That is the Doria. 
That is the gift. <clears throat> Go to Ephesians um, chapter 1. Sorry about my little raspy voice tonight. first one there. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, that's past tense, already done, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Christos, that's the anointing in the anointing that's on Jesus, in the Holy Spirit the anointing power of the Holy Spirit that's Christos that's why we're called little Christians so it isn't just some of the spiritual blessings in heavenly places and you get one and you get one and you get one but we have all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the baptism of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the Beloved. Um, <clears throat> that that Holy Spirit has all of the blessing, all of the power of God in him. And, and he says he has abounded to us with that grace. And, and um, that means super, super abounded, overflowed, more than even what we need. Far beyond, you know, in Ephesians 3 it says... The power to us is beyond our highest hopes, imaginations, dreams, plans, anything we can think of. That's how great that power is. And it has everything of the grace of God in it. All of the grace of God is in it. Um, <clears throat> but just like salvation, we have to receive it. You know, we have to receive that. Um, everything that we need... God has given. And he told us that we needed it. We are the receivers of that and we sort of pick and choose about what we want and what we will put up with and what we won't put up with. Which is where we get into trouble because we've not been taught that that grace is in the Holy Spirit. And the agent of grace in the earth. And everything is there. And if you get the Holy Spirit, you get all the Holy Spirit. Filling all of us with the fullness of himself. That's what he does. 
And that's in Ephesians 1, 2. Um, look at verse 22 while we're in Ephesians 1. He's put all things under his feet and gave him to the bed over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him that fills all in all. The fullness of him that fills all in all. It's not a part of the Holy Spirit here and a part of the Holy Spirit there. It is the fullness of the Holy Spirit in all of us. <coughs> and everything that comes with it belongs to us. Okay? <coughs> Adam Clark um, had kind of an interesting comment on this. Um, but without that understanding about the anointing of the Holy Spirit... We are less than overcomers. We are made to be overcomers, but if we don't have the understanding of that, we are less than overcomers. Adam Clark said this, Waning in life is a consequence of receiving the grace and the gift, and the gift of the Holy Spirit and the grace that comes with it. Therefore, receiving the grace is a necessary qualification on our part for reigning in life. And this necessarily implies our believing in Christ Jesus as having died for our offenses, receiving the grace so freely offered us, and using that means in order to get more grace and bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit for God's work through us, which is poema. Not for our work for God, but for God's work through us. Jesus said, the work I do, you know, I just show up and God does the work through me. So we all ought to be, it, sh it should be comforting, you know, to know that <clears throat> what you need is there. And God knows what you need when you need it. But if you don't believe Him for it, then um, it just doesn't happen. Um, go to Ezekiel 47. We're going to come back here too, but it'll be later. Don't quit too soon. <clears throat> right. <laughs> Don't quit too soon. Good advice. That is exactly right. <clears throat> Today Jeff was preaching on the fact that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's right. Which chapter is Ezekiel? Uh, 47. In these last few chapters, Ezekiel's hanging out with this angel. <clears throat> and God is showing him the temple in the heavens. The, the one on earth is a model of the one that's in heaven. And this angel is measuring it all out for him. And teaching him about that temple. And finally toward the end, he gets to the Holy of Holies. And out from under the east gate, this river starts to gush. And it's just pouring out. Okay. It is a picture of God's grace. And this is in the heavens. But when you think now that we are the temple of the living God. That grace should be flowing out from us. Because it's the nature of God. It's just the nature of God to flow out into the world. He can't not do it. Alright, start with verse 3. <clears throat> and 
And when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the ankles. And again he measured a thousand cubits, and brought me through the waters, and the waters were to the knees. And again he measured a thousand, and brought me through, and the waters were to the loins. And afterwards he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass over, for the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? And then he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. Now when I returned, behold, at the bank of the river were many trees on one side and on the other. And then he said to me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down into the desert. Now look, the land, the, the land is Israel. The sea has always lost humanity. It's a type of the rest of the world. Okay? So he said, first this river flows out into the desert. Right? Into the dry land. And then it goes to the sea. And he's speaking of the Dead Sea. Which being brought forth unto the sea, the waters shall be healed. Wherever this river went... All of the charismata of God was provided. All of the blessings of grace were there. Healing and health and provision and life and <clears throat> transforming power. And it will come to pass that everything that lives and moves, everything lives and moves wherever the river shall come and shall live and there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come hither for they shall be healed and everything shall live where the river comes. That's what it ought to look like with us everywhere we go. That river ought to be flowing out of us into the dry places, into the dead places so that things come to life when we show up. I know. I, to me, that's exciting. And if you think about Paul and... Um, Peter and James, you know, they just walked down the street. And wherever they were, their shadow was so full of the power of God, people came to life. They just got up off their sick mats and, you know, were healed and made whole. And Peter would take cloths, aprons, whatever it touched his body. And they could take those away and lay them on somebody. And there was so much of the power of God in them. People were raised up just from touching uh, something that had touched Paul. And that's that river Wherever that anointing goes, life ought to be abundant. Okay? That we should have life and have it to the full in abundance, running over. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi to Eneglium. And they shall be a place to spread forth nets, and their fish shall be according to their kinds as the fish of the great sea, exceeding many. <coughs> So, well, let me just keep reading. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed. They shall be given to salt. There are places where people are not going to receive the living power of the Holy Spirit. He'll come there. He'll show up there. And the saddest thing is in the church we've got a lot of marshes and, and miry places in the church. And that's what's wrong with us. You know, the Holy Spirit comes and he loved to gush forth through us and in us. But we're very standoffish about it. 
So by the river upon the bank thereof and on the side and on that side shall grow all meat, trees for meat, provision, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. And it shall bring forth new fruit according to its months, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Um, because the waters they issue out of the sanctuary and the fruit thereof shall be for meat and the leaf thereof for medicine. Um, what a magnificent picture of the living water of God that ought to be gushing out of our bellies. Um, and you and I are the living temple of God. That's where we are. Um, Jesus up until the age of 30, while he was never um, dead in the spirit, he was always alive in the spirit because he was born without sin. He was always, he didn't need to be born again. But he did no miracles. None of the charismata, the benefits of grace, flowed out of his belly until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. When he went down into that water and came up and the Holy Spirit came down on him and superimposed himself on Jesus, didn't leave him, stayed put, then the rivers of living water began to flow out of his belly. Everywhere he went, you know, it's like um, the man that was lowered down through the roof to be healed. Um, <clears throat> the scripture says the spirit to heal was present. Not Jesus was there to heal him, but the Spirit to heal. The Holy Spirit was there to heal that man. Um, when he went to his hometown, the Spirit to heal was present. But not many got healed because they couldn't receive it from him. It was there. He brought it to them. But they couldn't receive it because they couldn't believe it. They couldn't accept it. So Jesus became that river and we're to be like him. Um, go to Acts 1. Um, start with verse 4 and being assembled together with them he commanded them see that this is not like just an option it wasn't just a light suggestion he said you, you need to do this he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father which he said, you have heard of me. For John truly baptizes with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. And when they therefore were coming together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power. Okay, the first word power in verse 7 is authority. You know, that's in his authority and he determines that. But he says you shall receive dunamis, that explosive power of God after the Holy Spirit has come on you and you shall be witnesses unto me. Well, unto is a weird word there. Jesus doesn't need you to witness to him. 
He needs you to be a witness for him. So why would he say you will be a witness unto me? Well, the word unto there is is the word that literally means <clears throat> you will be like me and take on the attributes of me. So you will be a witness of me to others. So you're going to look like me, act like me, do what I do once that power has come on you. And then you'll go into Judea and Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. But he says before you go, you have to be filled with the agent of grace, with the Holy Spirit, to overflowing. And then you'll become like me. And when you are like me, then you go forth as my witness. You, you People will see you and be witnessing me through the power that you display. That's what he was saying. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so if Jesus was saying that we need that, then we need that. You know, we need it all. We need every bit of it. Anything and everything he has for us. Because, um, you know, the church should be looking just like Jesus. But we don't. We don't look like Jesus. Um, and so we need to start getting about that. Um, go to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to spend a pretty good amount of time in 1 Corinthians for you know, swimming around. But we're just going to start um, at the beginning. Let me read what the lexicon says about charisma. Um, the, the, the manifestations of grace, okay? Charis is grace. Charisma, which is what they're talking about here when it says gifts, is charisma, the manifestations of grace. This is what the lexicon says. Charisma is an instantaneous enablement by God in the power of the Holy Spirit to do or say something beyond one's natural ability in order to fulfill a specific purpose of God in the time frame in which God permits it. <clears throat> These charismata are not permanent acquisitions or talents. They may be specific enablements of accomplishment within the periphery of your talents and aptitudes. In other words, wherever you're called to be, there may be some that show up more than others. But they're all given by God in the first place. So they're not ours. We can't just gin it up. Um, <clears throat> for example, God has not made anyone a healer. But the God heals through us in the charismata, in the manifestations of grace, people are healed. But none of us are healers. Je Jesus healed no one. But the spirit to heal showed up every time he did because he was full of that Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now you will find that in certain ministries um, healings happen more readily you know like with evangelists and apostles and um, those things may happen more readily in one than the other because more sick people want to come forward to be prayed for so those things may happen more readily in one person's life than in another but that does not circumvent the fact that he will use you as quick as he'll use anybody else. Um, 
and that's where we got to get that out of our minds that um you know those oh my well he's an evangelist i can't possibly do what he's doing you know or she's an evangelist i can't possibly you know lay hands on people and see them healed but yeah we can we're expected to we're expected to be bold in those things actually um and and not be surprised when they happen but expect them could you read the definition again? Yeah. <clears throat> it's an instantaneous enablement by God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do or say something beyond your own natural ability in order to fulfill a specific purpose of God. And this is the part that's really important in the time frame in which God permits it. When God permits it, it's in his time frame. Okay. These charismata are not permanent acquisitions or talents. They may be specific enablements of accomplishment within the periphery of your talents and aptitudes, um, but they are given by God in the first place. That help, Lee? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought that was very succinct and I liked it. Um, <clears throat> so let's just start in 1 Corinthians 12 with just the first couple of verses. I'm going to read down through, chapter, for, through verse 7 and then skip to verse 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, and that word gifts is actually not in the original um, it's not in the original text. It, it is the word um, charisma, and that literally is spiritual endowments um, or miraculous faculties. So now concerning spiritual endowments or miraculous faculties, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols even as you were led. Therefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. Now, there are diversities of charismata, diversities of manifestations, but one Spirit. So there are a lot of things that the Spirit can manifest through us, but they belong to the one Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. So there are different places where we administer um, <clears throat> the charismata, where they're administered. But Jesus is Lord. Jesus determines when and where and how. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which works all in all. God is the one that works through us. He works all of the blessings of grace through us. It's all Him. Now go down to verse 11. But in all these works that one and the selfsame Spirit. See, all these work by that one and the selfsame Spirit. They all work by the Spirit, not by you and me. Dividing to every man severally as he will. Okay. <clears throat> Dividing severally. We, we always want to say it's like, you know, dealing out a set of cards. You get six, I get six. But that's not what that means. It means um, 
It literally means that God is dispersing them to all men, each and every one of us, according to what He needs done. Okay? So it doesn't mean that He gives you one thing and me another thing. Because if I'm ministering to somebody and I need, God knows what I need. I may need a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, you know. But if that's not my gifting, then I'm not able to minister to a person who needs me to have an understanding. You know, God's going to say, you need to know this about this person. You need to have this wisdom to share with this person so that they know what's coming or what's about to happen or whatever. <clears throat> you can't <clears throat> determine for yourself, I think now I'm going to think up something wise or I'm going to get this word of knowledge. You can't gin it up in yourself. Um, there's no way that you can do that. Um, <clears throat> so then you have to start thinking, okay, if there's one Lord, one Holy Spirit, one Lord, one God, and all of the manifestations of grace are in God through the power of the Holy Spirit, then when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are filled with the fullness of God. It's all there and ready to be used. So then, then he goes into this explanation that we're all one body. They're all different members. Every, every member has something to do. It's interesting when you look at it, and the word gifting is still used, which really frustrates me. <clears throat> um, but um, when you look down at the bottom of the page, look at verse 31 uh, in chapter 12, verse 31. He says, finally, covet earnestly the best gifts. I, I find it interesting that the word covet is there because that means desiring something that doesn't belong to you. He could have said, you don't have a passionate desire for, but to covet means to desire something that's not yours. So we want to covet the best gifts, the best charismata. The word best there is the word kriton. And it means the most useful, the most serviceable, and the most advantageous. So what do you want to desire? You want to desire those manifestations in you that are most useful and serviceable and advantageous to you at the time they're needed. Um, <clears throat> and God knows. So what we do is show up and trust that God is going to be available to give us exactly what we need to minister. You know? You may not even be ministering to person. You may just show up and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to say, you know, we just need to pray in this place. You need to speak a word over this place. You need to do this or that in a place. You know, He may show you there's a, there's a spirit in this place that needs to be cast out. There is something that needs to be done. But if you're not open and listening to the Holy Spirit and fully expecting all of the blessings to be available, then you're not going to hear it. You'll miss it. You know. And, and we need to be ready. We need to be there. Um, <clears throat> and be doing exactly what God wants us to do. Um, 
Okay, you just, you know, I just keep going back to the same phrase again and again. Love expressed is grace defined. There's no better four words that I've ever heard than that. Um, the Holy Spirit just dumped that in my spirit one morning, and I have been chewing on it ever since. Love expressed is grace defined. And the reason that makes so much sense, <clears throat> uh, in chapter 31, he says, I show you a still more excellent way. And this leads into this chapter on love that everybody knows That's about. right. But the thing is, is that he talks about how love triumphs over all of these other things, exactly. all these other gifts. Exactly. I mean, you can earnestly want gifts, but if you don't have the love, you can't use any of these gifts. That's right. That's and right. He is the love. He is the manifestation. That's right. Of love. He is the manifestation of love. That's exactly right. The fruit of the spirit, and um, you know, and um, um, you know, in Galatians, that's what he says. He says you you should be producing the fruit of love. We, we can't even love the way God loves. That's just a fruit. But also, he says, faith, our faith is activated and energized and works by love. If you don't have the love of God, but it's, John says it like this, it isn't how much you love God. It's how much he loves you. If you don't have complete and total faith in how much he loves you, you will never be able to produce that fruit in yourself. Because you are never going to be able to let go of everything and allow him to do that through you. We're always holding out on something, you know. Um, it's a total letting go. And once you have become totally, totally dependent on and trust completely the full love of God, fear is cast out and faith works. It's empowered and engendered by that love. And when the faith is working... The Holy Spirit is gushing right out of you. Um, <clears throat> that is exactly right. The sad thing is this. When God created the world, there were two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And both trees are flourishing in the church. Both trees are flourishing in the church. And we tend to feed a little bit on this one and a lot on this one, or a lot on this one and a little bit on that one. We seem to graze from one to the other. And um, <clears throat> we're slowly letting go of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But um, like we were talking about in, in uh, Sunday school today, you know, um, we determine what's good for us and what's not good for us. And we're real happy for the Holy Spirit to come visit in church. But we've also determined that it's good that he sit on the back row and be quiet. <laughs> you know? And not make a scene. You know? And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've, we've eaten of the tree of, of life. We have eternal life. We, we love God. But we are, we are still deciding for ourselves in a self-righteous way. What we will have and what we won't have. Mm -hmm. Hey, we've come a long way. <coughs> Are you talking? We have a few say amen. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord and got an amen pew. That's Lord, good. We have a couple <laughs> in the nine thirty service. That's good. We open our mouths. That's good. 
Isn't that funny? I, I made a note earlier. Is there a relationship here between gifts of the Spirit and the tree of life? In yes. Okay. Yes. I've written that to myself sometimes. Yes. And, and that's right. When you're feeding on the tree of life, that's when you're feeding on the very, it's, well, life is Zoe, it's divine essence. And when you're feeding on the divine essence of God, the Holy Spirit is going to be full in you. Now, you, you know, when you read in Acts, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. A little bit later, they're all praying in the room. They're refilled with the Holy Spirit again. And so you need to continually feed on that divine essence in order for it to be alive and working in you. Um, everything gets dormant, you know, use it or lose it. And um, we were created that way. I know it because I haven't been in the gym in a month. Bill hasn't been in almost a month, and he's about died this week going back. So use it or lose it physically. Use it or lose it spiritually. You know, it doesn't mean it's not there. Residents, I have muscles, but boy, you know, if you don't use them, they get dormant, they get weak. And that's what happens to us. So you feed on the tree of life instead of on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when you get weak, then your flesh gets stronger and all of a sudden your feet of clay take over and you begin to get fearful about things, you know. Oh my gosh, what would happen if, you know, if the Holy Spirit got loose in church one Sunday? You know, oh my word, we might lose people. We might, you know. And um, what a scary thought, you know. We yeah. got a couple more doors in the corner. Oh my. <laughs> Say I had an unusual thing happen. I was... Um, Back at the time that Hyman was like four churches, mm -hmm. and uh, I, you'd you'd speak at four, you know, yeah. And uh, so we were uh, this particular morning. The first one was uh, uh, was a gravel pit by Methodist Church. Well, anyway, I was going on the way down, and I had to go to the bathroom, <laughs> and, and they had a bathroom there. Oh no! A little sh shed around behind the place, you know? and. <laughs> So uh, I got to the door, and the guy just takes me right on in. You know, oh, no. I, I was next. <coughs> so uh, I was in there, and a guy got, got through the first part of the service and everything, and I just couldn't go any longer. Yeah. So I went out the back door and left, excuse myself, and just left back uh. out the back door. Well, anyway, when I got back up, into the church, you know, I was a little surprised, you know, that anybody was left. You know? <laughs> and there, but it was it was a fascinating thing because they uh, we talked a lot uh, that morning, and we were we were talking about the the Holy Spirit, the need of it, and we had several people healed, you know, in the, in the church, and. Uh, and uh, people were were there, and, and uh, it was it was really down home, you know. In that night, and uh, it was fascinating. Yeah. But the thing, I was all ready to quit, you know, <laughs> going out the back door. Yeah, uh, and there was, they were, ready for yeah, you. Right. You know, God knows what He's doing. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? But He can turn any situation into, into something meaningful. You he know, can. Kind of thing. He absolutely can if we just give Him the work. Okay, just looking at these trees. You know, if you feed on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that takes you to the law. Then the law takes you to your own efforts to become righteous before God. Your own efforts to please God with what you do. 
And then that leads to self-righteousness and then that leads to bondage and a fall from grace. When we fall from grace, that doesn't mean that God's grace stops flowing to us. It means we've just fallen away from what God has provided for us. You know, we, we turned off the pump. God didn't. You know, but when you start depending on what you do, my ministry, my gifting, my whatever, um, you you become self-righteous. And then the grace dries up. But when you feed on the tree of life, that's where grace is. Grace brings you to a complete dependence on the work of Jesus Christ to make you righteous. Because you realize there is nothing that you can do in yourself. You know, you, you can't do anything in yourself. But you can do all things in Christ Jesus, right? Um, and that brings you to a total trusting and humility before God. And from that humility, God lifts us up. That brings us to the empowerment of grace and freedom. But you have to go through that humbling place where you give up trying to decide what's good and bad. You give up trying to decide what you want and what you don't want and just become that vessel. Um, <clears throat> great quote here. The liberty mentioned by the apostles is freedom from the Jewish rites and ceremonies called properly here the yoke of bondage. And it is also liberty from the power of guilt and sin which nothing but the grace of Christ can take away. You, you, when you get free of those things, then you have a boldness that um, exceeds your own. You know, you get to that boldness outside of where we are. Um, <clears throat> Wesley says it like this, if you seek to be justified, in other words, if you trust in your own work, your own ministry, your own gift, your own ability, okay, if you seek to be justified by entanglement again, with the yoke of legal bondage, you disclaim Christ. To me, that hit me right in the heart. You know, when you're trying to do it yourself, you disclaim Christ and all the blessings which are through faith in Him. You disclaim the benefits of this dispensation of Christ. You know, when you're trying to do it yourself, so you become supernaturally impotent when you try to become naturally um, gifted or naturally talented. So in order to be supernaturally natural, you have to totally rely on God's work, poema. Um, in Ephesians 2, he says, we are created to walk in the good works that he has preordained. It doesn't say to do the good works. Walk means to live in them. So what we do is we just go. We live and the good works go through us. The poema goes through us. We don't do the good works. God does the good works through us. But we live a life where he can do those works through us supernaturally. Um, well, Benny <clears throat> related the story. He uh, was in Catherine Coleman's Ministry, right? Learning and helping and assisting and learning about the healing ministry, mm -hmm. and he said that she would walk onto the stage and people would start walk, walking up out of their wheelchairs without her saying a word. Mm -hmm. And he realized it wasn't Catherine Coleman; mm -hmm. 
It was the Holy Spirit walking out onto the stage, and it was the work of the Holy Spirit that was lifting people up and healing them without a word being said. It was the power of the Spirit. That's right. And that's, you know, Paul says, I, I don't get to preach really good stuff. I don't preach well because I, I just, I'm a stammerer. And I'm, but when I'm like that, and then God begins to work, you see it isn't me. You, you know that it's the living God. And um, that's exactly right. And she had reached that place where her faith was totally, totally dependent on the love of God. Um, let's just look at Ephesians 4 real quick. Um, Taylor's right about 1 Corinthians 13 being there for a reason. It has to do with the love of God and that fruit that's born in us. But you don't bear fruit unless you are rooted and grounded you know, in that love. Um, come on, Ephesians. Pages are sticking together. Ephesians 3. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay. We're doing good tonight. Um. <clears throat> The Ephesians um, were baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years after Pentecost. It was 20 years later that they came to believe and then were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's working. It, it, it continues to repeat itself. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But the, but the Ephesians were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they understood this power. But Paul was saying to them, look, if you want to see that power unleashed, then you're going to have to produce that fruit of love. And the only way you're going to do that is by sinking your roots into the love of God. Meaning, you're going to have to anchor yourself in the love of God. That's what Paul, you know, John would say, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, because God is love. And the very next sentence is, But it isn't that we love Him. It is that He loves us. We've kind of even gotten to the place where we try to gin up our own love for God thinking that that's the thing that's going to generate the faith in us. But it isn't our love in God, of God, that causes the fruit to be born. It is our trusting so completely in God's love for us that allows the love of God to fill us up. And then we produce the fruit. We look at it sort of backwards. And um, <clears throat> we become powerless because we're still trying to gin up enough love for God to get the faith to work and to get the power to come. But, but John says, no, it, it's not how much you love God. It's how much God loves us. And when you know, when your love is perfected, when that love in you is perfected, the love of God is perfected in you, meaning you so trust the love of God and His heart 
then fear has to leave you. You cannot be afraid of anything. When you really come to know experientially the love of God. Okay, here it is. Look at um, verse 14. Chapter 3, 14. <clears throat> For this reason, seeing the greatness of this plan by which you are built together in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that Father from whom all fatherhood takes its title and derives its name. May He grant you, out of the rich treasury of His glory, to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power, dunamis, in the inner man by the Holy Spirit, there's the gift, indwelling your innermost being and personality. May Christ, through your faith, dwell and settle down and abide and make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely in love. Um, <clears throat> grounded securely in love, that means you trust God so much that there's not a storm big enough to blow you over. You are so rooted, there is nothing that can rip you away from the love of God. You are so confident in his love for you and when you are that's grounded when you are rooted that means you then begin to draw that love up into yourself that's what a tree does whatever it's planted in it draws up whatever the nutrients are and then it produces fruit the tree's basically passive in the process but it draws up into itself the love of God so what can you produce if that's the only thing going up what you're going to produce is love Right? But it's God love. And God love is all about everybody else but yourself. And that's when the Holy Spirit can flow through you to other people. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, <clears throat> God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it? that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience a lot of us are trying to go on knowledge without experience but we need to experience that love in order to trust it that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God and may have the richest measure of the divine presence, the agent of grace, and become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself, baptized in it. Now to him who, by and in consequence of the actions of his power, that is at work within us, his power at work within us, is able to carry out his purpose and do superabundantly, far over and above all, that we dare ask or think infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, or dreams. And imaginings, that's another word that's in the lexicon. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You cannot know the greatness of that power unless you are full of the love of God. And that means you have a complete trusting in him for everything that you're willing to allow anything 
that he has for you. Now I'm a type A person, so I have a little trouble giving it all up sometimes, you know. I, I have a little problem with um <clears throat> with parting with my own um what do I want to say, my own self um rule. You know, there are things that I you know, I can handle and things that I can. When the Lord says, I want you to go and do this or that or the other, you go, uh, time out here, you know. Rather than just say, okay, let's go. You know, I, I still want to go, time out, let's talk about it a minute. Let's just talk this over, you know. And until we get to that place where we can just let it go, we're never going to get all the way, you know, over the end. And we want to get over the end. I just keep feeling like Jesus is coming. And we have um, a tsunami of, of people that are going to be coming to look for the grace of God because things are not going to get better here. They're not going to get better, you know. For us... We're in the secret place. We are sheltered by the Most High God. And they're going to come to the lighthouse. So if the lighthouse, the light's out, what are you going to do? You know, we have to be ready to, to meet these people head on where they are. People were desperate in Jesus' day. They were suffering under the foot of the Romans. And not only under the Romans, but under the Pharisees and the Sadducees as well. They were desperate. For that anointing power, that fresh living water that Jesus had. They flocked to him from everywhere because they were so hungry for it. You and I need to show up like he did because we're his body in the earth now. And we need to have that, that gusher going because people are thirsty for it. They just are. They're thirsty for it. They just don't know where to look for it. You know, they don't, they don't know what to do and, and we need to be ready to tell them. It's amazing how much this ties in with Jeff's sermon today. Right? Yeah, it is. Being the temple of God. And, I mean, he's just touching briefly on what you're going into that Yeah. But it also ties back to his saying that it's in small groups that you really get the understanding because you know, coming to this place. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And for you and I, it's not like, you know, we're going to go out and evangelize the world. That's not it. It is that um, we meet people where they are. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we move them to a better place. And when you look at how Jesus did that, he met the woman at the well. <clears throat> he didn't leave her where she was. He didn't condemn her. But the power and the anointing that was on the words that he said to her brought her to another place where she was able to bring the whole community out. You know, and Jesus ended up staying a while um, preaching and teaching there and transforming lives. But he just took his vessel. He never, he didn't know that woman. He just went. And you know what? If I was a good religious person, I would have gone, I mm, Lord, I don't think I want to go into Samaria. That's not like a good place to be. You know, maybe, maybe we ought to talk about this. Maybe she could meet me on the road out here. You know, but but he didn't. He just went right into Samaria. So what? He was bold about it. Or God said a few words to her. Yeah. He made it a point to go. Yes, he did. And no good Jew goes through Samaria. Oh my no. And talked to women. And talked to women. And she was like the sleaze bucket of the whole town. She was like the lowest. She was worse than the gum on the bottom of your shoe. And um, yeah, there he was talking to her. Nervous. Right. <laughs> You know, I, you would have a little trouble with that, wouldn't you? 
you know, for the Lord to say, I just want you to go right into that hovel over there and I want you to share the gospel with that. And when she, yes. as low as she was, was right. transformed, she made the whole town listen to her. Exactly. Exactly. That river just kept flowing. Well, then he met Nicodemus. You know, here's Nicodemus, a, a church man. And Jesus didn't even leave Nicodemus where he was. He said, Nicodemus, you got to do better than you're doing, buddy. You have to be born again if you want to understand the things of God. He took even the church guy to a higher place. Mary Magdalene, he, he cast demons out of her and took her from being the lowest of low and brought her up. <clears throat> Every one of the disciples, you know, he took from where they were and raised them to a higher place in the glory of God. And you and I are the very same way. Paul, there's another good example. I mean, you know, he was a fanatical religious man. He, he thought he was doing God a favor. He was a nutball, you know, total nutball. But he was doing the wrong thing. And God just met him right there on the road. Knocked him out lovingly. Just a little love tap. And uh, blinded him a few days. And then raised him up and used him, you know. Um, he takes us where we are. And that's what we're to do. We're not really to worry about the big ministry, the big whatever. We're just who we are, where we are. And we have the, the whole power of the creator of the universe at our disposal to do what we need to do when we need to do it, if we just listen. Um, and it all has to do with love. It all has to do with that. Um, we'll stop right here. I want to read what John Wesley has to say about love. Um, what we're going to start on next time is untangling this mess about um, the gifts, you know, and how the church is organized and how the body works and how it all you know, comes into play. We're going to try to untangle that mess that the church has made of it. But this is um, what John Wesley said about 1 Corinthians 13. The love of God <clears throat> and of our neighbor for God's sake is patient toward all men. It suffers all the weakness, the ignorance, the errors, and the infirmities of the children of God and all malice and wickedness of the children of the world. And all this, not only for a time, but to the end. And in every step of overcoming evil with good, it is kind and soft and mild and benign. It inspires the sufferer at once with amiable sweetness and the most fervent and tender affections. Love acts not rashly. It doesn't hastily condemn anyone. It never passes severe sentence on a slight and sudden view of things, nor does it ever act or behave in a violent or headstrong or precipitant manner. And this is the line that I love. Love alone is the sum of perfection in heaven. Love alone is the sum of perfection in heaven. I thought, wow, Wesley, you just nailed that, buddy. You just nailed it. And then like John says, it isn't that we love him. It is that he loved us. So when we get into that place where we understand God's love, then we are compelled to love. But until you can fully trust in the love that he has for you, you cannot be impelled to love others. You have to be full of that trust in what he's done for you first. And then... He impels us to love others and compels us. We can't do it until we have that drive in us to do it. Um, and there comes a point when we're so rooted and grounded that we can't not love. 
um, that it's harder for us to be angry and to be uh, um, critical and judgmental. It's harder for us to do that than it is for us to love. You know, we, we're going to cross over a line somewhere. And, and then we become to see how Jesus could hang on that cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How Stephen could say, Father, you know, don't lay this to their, you know, at their feet, this guilt, because they don't know what they're doing. Um, but, but they were so grounded and so trusting in the love of God that they were impelled and compelled to love. They couldn't not love. And that's when the power of God is released. That's when it just pours out of us um, in unbelievable measure is when we get to that place. Um, to ever, you know, you, you, we get tastes of it. We get a flash of it here and there because we, we're going that way. But to walk in it and to live in it like, like the apostles did, we're fully expected to do that. But we have to come to that place in love. Okay, we're going to stop there, and then next week we're going to start untangling the mess. Oh my goodness, Lord God, we just thank you so much for your word. Um, Father, I just speak to every high thing in us and every imagination in us that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Lord, I cast down all of our rationalizations. I cast down our our self-preservation. I cast down every stronghold that causes us to hold out on anything that you have for us, Lord. And I speak to every thought of ours to come into captivity to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit, work in us this week. Cause us to let go of more and more, surrender more and more, and trust you more and more, Holy Spirit, as we experience your love through the week. Lord, we just thank you so much that you love us even when we're not lovely, and that you're faithful even when we're not faithful, Lord, and that the work that you've begun in us you will complete that you are faithful to do that Lord we, we put our full trust in that and we give you the praise and the thanks for it Lord Amen Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess? Aha in my dentist's office more than once actually Do I have to say? Yes you do In the car before my kids PTA meeting Really? Yes Excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell Well there you have it you can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com Play for free right now Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary Void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply See website for details